The scripture reading today is from selected passages from the Old and New Testaments. Please turn to the bulletin to read responsibly. Hear the word of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord strengthen his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. How beautiful are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who says to God's people that a child has been born for us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Mighty God, Prince of Peace. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Great peace have those who love your law. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Be at peace with one another, speak the truth to one another, render in your gates judgments that are true and that make for peace. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called. May the Lord strengthen his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Hear God's word again, this time from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11, verses 1, and then 4 through 9. We often read some of this passage as we come into the season of Advent, so we may hear it again relatively quickly, but this is about the coming of the Messiah and the messianic age, the peace of heaven that God wants to create on earth through the Messiah. Isaiah 11 at verse 1, a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weak, weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all God's holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow before God in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, take the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts and by the power of your Spirit, make them acceptable in your sight, who alone is our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. In 
In our sermons this fall, we're looking together at Jesus' teaching as we find it in the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters in Matthew's Gospel, 5, 6, and 7. I repeat this every Sunday we preach on it. These are chapters you should know. You should know where to look for the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. They begin with a preface that we call the Beatitudes, eight statements, depending on how you count them, maybe nine statements, eight or nine statements about happiness. The Greek word is makarios, often translated blessedness, but actually in normal everyday ancient Greek, the word meant happy. And this is what God wants for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before Jesus begins his teaching, he says to us, here's part of my purpose for the teaching, not just to make you good people, not just so you know right from wrong, but so that you can lead the kind of life for which you were created, and that is a life of, well, happiness. The kind of happiness, not that's ephemeral or passing, but that nothing can take away. Not a transitory happiness, but a solid happiness. And indeed, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, as it were, reiterates what he said in the Beatitudes at the beginning by telling those who listen about the kind of rock-solid life that God wants for them. It's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus says storms are going to arise. He makes no promises that life will be easy for his followers. Storms are going to arise. The rain is going to fall. The floods are going to come up. But if your life is going to be solid as a rock, then you need to listen to my words. Your life will be like a house built on the rock and not on the sand. And this is what I want for you. This kind of solidity in life, this kind of happiness in life, this kind of well-being in life. This is Christ's purpose in his teaching. Though even as I say that, when I think about happiness, I know from experience that some people are not sure they want happiness. Some people are not sure they want the kind of happiness that Jesus wants them to have, but some people actually really don't want to be more happy than they are right now. Some people are actually happy being miserable. Maybe we're like that. Maybe we know some people who are like that. And some people are content with a happiness that is a fake happiness. And there's a lot of this going around just now, driven in part by our media, the adrenaline rush. And there are many studies which show that many people are out to get this, the adrenaline rush that comes from making people mad or upset and then sharing how mad or upset they are with others. And that they think this is where their happiness lies. This is what life is all about. Happy, being unhappy, or happy, spreading unhappiness. Whereas Jesus calls us to true happiness. And he says that one of the ways to get there, there are different paths, Many statements in the Beatitudes. One of the ways to get there is not by spreading our unhappiness to others, not by getting everybody riled up, not by dragging others down to where we are, not by being a warmonger, but by being a peacemaker. Want to, want to be happy? Then be a peacemaker, says Jesus. Happy are the peacemakers, those who wage peace and not war, for they shall be called the children of God. And this is the statement in the Beatitudes that I want us to think about today. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. But why, why peace? Why the making of peace as a path to happiness? Let me share with you a couple of reasons, two reasons 
why this, I believe, is included among the statements of blessedness or happiness that Jesus uses at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. The first reason is this, that God is a peacemaker. That God is a peacemaker, and God wants us to be like God, to bear a family resemblance to the God who made us and who himself is a peacemaker. So if you want to look like a child of God, then like God, you will be a peacemaker. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called, and indeed they will look like children of God. They will look like their Father in heaven. Sometimes when we speak about Jesus' death and salvation, we speak only about forgiveness, the forgiveness that God offers to us through Jesus Christ. And this, of course, is true, and this is important. We are guilty of breaking God's laws. And Jesus died to bear the penalty for our sins, for our law-breaking, fully, finally, and forever. And in the death of Jesus, Jesus paid for all our sin so that we could be forgiven completely and utterly forever. And some of us need to know that profoundly. We're still living with guilt. And Jesus says, hand that over to me. I've paid the price fully. And this is an essential part of salvation. But in speaking about salvation, if we only speak in terms of guilt and forgiveness, we're only telling part of the story. What the Bible tells us as well is that we're not only sinners, but we are rebels against the authority of God. We're in constant rebellion against the rule of God over our lives. And if you want to see this most clearly, go to a two-year-old child who understands the authority of someone else and begins that rebellion sort of right there and then. Hey, I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. And that battle goes on. And that battle is part of our struggle with God all our lives, which is why Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done, because naturally we want to say, my kingdom come and my will be done. So we must bring ourselves back to God out of this rebellion again and again and again, saying, thy, 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 I forget that. Thy will, thy kingdom, not my kingdom. But this is the lie that we are tempted to believe, that our way is best, that we know the best for our lives, and we're the only ones who can control our lives. And you hear this in the culture around about us all the time. And the Scripture says, no, no, we are in rebellion against God, and God wants to fix not only our guilt, but wants to resolve that rebellion and reconcile us to himself, to bring us into a relationship with God in which, in fact, we do come to know that the best path in life where our happiness lies is in relationship with God, and God will go to extreme ends in order to bring us this reconciliation and to end this rebellion. Indeed, he sends Jesus not just to live for us, but to die for us, to bring us back into God's family, to make peace between us and God. And it's in his death that Jesus becomes the Prince of Peace. Remember our call to worship from the first chapter of Colossians in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, by the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God himself is fundamentally 
a peacemaker. It's in the very core, as it were, of God's being. Even though we have wronged God again and again and again, God is always moving towards us as a peacemaker. And he calls us to bear a family resemblance, to become like God, to become his children as peacemakers. But then there's a, a second reason as well, and a related reason as to why peacemaking is to be our call and why it is path, part of the path that Jesus teaches that leads to happiness. And that second reason is this, that peace is one of the great characteristics of heaven. Peace is one of the great characteristics of heaven. Remember the passage I just read a moment or two ago, the picture I showed to the children, the heavenly vision that is part of the teaching of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 11. I suppose we could have gone to the book of Revelation as well, which gives images of heaven which are not too dissimilar from this. But when Isaiah thinks about the future that God intends for us to have, this picture of heaven, there is peace, the absence of conflict, and a sense of well-being. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. Peace has been made. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the snake, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. There will be no more poison in the systems of the world, no one will hurt or destroy on all of God's holy mountain. So there's this great heavenly vision of peace, what we call the peaceable kingdom. And God's calling in our lives, as we saw last Sunday as we looked at the Lord's Prayer together, is for us as Christians to bring as much heaven down to earth as we possibly can. So our prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is not just making sure that we say thy instead of my, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, but it's on earth as in heaven. On earth as in heaven. Heavenly peace here on earth. Not only in the sense of the absence of conflict, though that's included, but in the sense of well-being and fruitfulness and flourishing, which can only come when there is a broader peace surrounding us. In fact, the Hebrew word, where peace is shalom. And shalom means precisely this, both the absence of conflict and the presence of ultimate well-being, the well-being for which God created us in the first place. It's what God wants for all of us and summons all of us to be participants with him in making this happen. We are not just to be peace lovers and we're not just to be peace enjoyers and we're not just to be peace thinkers or peace talkers, but according to Jesus, we are to be peacemakers, to make peace happen, to wage for peace by praying for peace and then pursuing peace with a passion instead of war. Though we have to be careful here that we don't become naive in the process, all this business about peace can get complicated very quickly. And the reason is that we're not in heaven yet. So we're to bring as much heaven down to earth as possible, but in fact, until we get to, to heaven, the earth will never be quite as heavenly as it ought to be, as it was created to be. That always lies in the future. That doesn't mean we don't do it or do what we can, but there will always be an imperfection here until evil itself is destroyed, for evil will always make life complex and complicated. This side of heaven, 
human society will always remain mm, just a little bit and sometimes a lot twisted and tainted by evil and conflict and threats to peace are going to be around. This is inevitable. If we were in heaven, this would not be so. Let me give you an illustration of this. How can peace reign supreme in heaven? Well, everyone's on the same page, aren't they? It's very clear who the boss is, and it's very clear who we are. We are not jockeying for position anymore. We know who we are, and we know very clearly the will of Almighty God. And we all have unlimited resources to do everything that we need to do. And all our differences in personality and experience, well, in heaven, they're just the sources of pure joy, pure delight, not conflict tearing us apart. But here on earth, no matter how hard we try, we're not there yet. Even if we seek the will of God together, in any single church, we're going to come out in different places. And part of the life of the church is to hold this together. Here on earth, we have uneven resources. One of the reasons why conferences such as the conference in Glasgow can't quite get their act together is that the people who are at the table have uneven resources. And it's hard to know who's responsible for what. And here on earth, we're always in a tussle over position and rank and influence. And sometimes when one person rises up, another person is pushed down. And that's what it's like here on earth as opposed to being in heaven. And, and when it comes to our personalities and our experiences and our backgrounds all too easily, what should be glorious leads to destruction and to conflict. So we have our affiliations, which are at times, I think, tribal, race, politics, region, or nation. But then we have our personalities too, don't we? And there are some personalities, if we are honest, they just rub us the wrong way. I mean, we're in it for truth. And somebody plays just a little bit fast and loose with the truth. Let's be nice and not get into that. Some people are naturally more aggressive than others. Some are naturally avoiders of any conflict at all, and they're going to run a hundred miles in a different direction, and we bring all of us together in one place, and ooh, at times, that's going to hurt. So this whole business of peace gets complicated this side of heaven very easily indeed. Indeed, I think that conflict at times is inevitable, and not only inevitable, but in an imperfect world at times, actually, biblically speaking, as well as practically speaking, mm, at times it can be necessary. And that really does complicate things. Thinking of Veterans Day, as we are doing today, and war, for example, when it comes to the complexity of making peace in this world, which Jesus calls us to do, my mind often goes back to the rise of Nazi Germany, the fascist regime in Germany in the 1930s, and the differences between two leaders in Great Britain, the British Prime Minister, Neville Chamberlain, and the Member of Parliament, Sir Winston Churchill, September 1938, Chamberlain meets Adolf Hitler in Europe to discuss the issue of the three million ethnic Germans who live in Czechoslovakia. And on his return to Britain on September the 30th of that year, he says this. He says, the settlement of the Czechoslovakian problem, which has now been achieved, is in my view only the prelude to a larger settlement 
in which all of Europe may find peace. And later that day, he adds this. He says, my good friends, I've returned from Germany bringing peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. And he concludes his words to the reporters who are standing there. And this is no joke. He concludes with these words. He says, go home and get a nice sleep. This is 1938. Of course, one person, Adolf Hitler, has no intention of going home and getting a nice sleep. And within six months, he invades Czechoslovakia and all hell breaks loose at that time with millions of deaths to follow. Whereas Churchill, on the other hand, had been conducting research for years that showed that Germany was rearming at a pace for which there was only one explanation, not self-defense, not the preservation of the peace, but the promulgation of war. Churchill called it the rise of the gathering storm, the gathering storm, but few believed him. And when he urged Britain and here in the United States, the United States, to develop the armed forces that were needed, he was accused of not waging peace, but of being a warmonger. So he speaks to what Chamberlain has just said a couple of weeks after Chamberlain's speech. He speaks to an audience in the United Kingdom and in the United States like this on the radio. He says, we need the swift gathering of forces to confront not only military but moral aggression, to banish from all our lives the fear which already darkens the sunlight for hundreds of millions of people. Then he asks this, is this a call to war? And then another question, does anyone pretend that preparation for resistance to aggression is unleashing war? And then he says, I declare it to be the sole guarantee of peace. Peace in both those speeches from two different kinds of people in two different directions. Of course, history shows hindsight that Churchill was right, too little, too late, but right. But what this means for peacemaking is this, that if in fact peacemaking can include preparation for war, then peacemaking is complex. Peacemaking is messy. We need a lot of prayer for God to guide us as to how best the peace is to be made. And this is not just secular. This is Jesus as well. Remember, there were times in Jesus' ministry when he looked more like a peacebreaker than a peacemaker. The most famous incident of all is when Jesus, just before his crucifixion, is in the temple in Jerusalem, and he brandishes a handmade whip. It's harmless, but he throws it around like this. He overturns the tables of the money changers there. People are buying and selling sacrifices and exchanging money and ripping people off and ripping God off from worship in the temple. And Jesus creates this enormous ruckus in the temple, disturbs the peace big time. And he does so quoting scripture from the prophets saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves and robbers. Accusatory words from our Lord Jesus. There's an injustice going on, and someone needs to break the peace in order to bring about the greater kind of peace or shalom that God is looking for. Or to quote the prophet Jeremiah in the sixth chapter, Jesus' action was actually a visible illustration of the prophet Jeremiah's cry that from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. 
From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have treated the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. This is not what a peacemaker does. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. But the point is this. It gets complicated pretty quickly. And if we are going to be peacemakers, it's not just about being nice. It's not just about having a Pollyanna attitude that all will be well as if the world were not complex. It's knowing that things are complex and that we must be utterly dependent upon God for guidance to know what to do in the situations that God gives to us. Prayer is essential if we're going to be peacemakers. Remembering who God is, that God is fundamentally a peacemaker, is essential if we're going to be peacemakers. Remembering the end game of heaven and our calling to bring as much of it, it'll never be perfect, but as much of it as we can down to earth, is essential if we're going to be peacemakers. And then one more thing finally is essential. And that is, if we're going to be peacemakers, we need to know the peace of God within our hearts and within our souls. We need to already know the peace of God within our hearts and within our souls. Jesus' disciples had lost their peace when Jesus told them he was going to die. They were anxious, and Jesus says to them, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them, your hearts, be afraid. He wants his peace, even in troubled times, to invade their souls and then to come out of them, as it were, in all kinds of prayerful patterns of peacemaking, remembering who God is and bringing heaven down to earth. This inner peace as the basis for our having the wisdom to know and the power to carry out the activity of peacemaking is described most beautifully by a mystic from 600 years ago by the name of Thomas Akempis who in a little book called The Imitation of Christ, connects the inner peace within our souls with the ability to bring outer peace to others. He connects them like this. He says, first keep peace with yourself. Then you will be able to bring peace to others. Some people are never at peace with themselves, nor do they bring it to anyone else. These latter are a burden to everyone, but they are more of a burden to themselves. A peaceful person does more good even than a learned one. The person who is at perfect ease, it's a wonderful word, perfect ease, is never suspicious, but the disturbed and the discontented spirit is upset by many a suspicion. He or she neither rests himself nor permits others to do so. What a powerful statement. He or she ne neither rests himself nor permits others to do so to do so. First, keep peace with yourself. But don't we know negative people like this who don't have that kind of peace within their souls? Some spread strife and the absence of peace wherever they go. Some spread a lot of good, but then they undermine it with something which tears the peace away just as they bring it. There's a twist in their lives which will not allow them in the end to be peacemakers. No peace within their soul. They do not know the God of peace or the peace that God brings to us, or the good news of God's salvation, or the presence of the Prince of Peace in their heart, there is nothing internal which is at divine peace. On the other hand, thank God, we also know those people 
who are peacemakers, who somehow have the courage or the guts to get into the midst of a conflict, and before long that conflict becomes a discussion, and the nature of it has changed, and the relationships with people have changed. We know of people of the uncanny ability to sense when people are somehow at war with themselves or at war with others, and they know just the right word to say to make sure that the outcome is good. We know some people who stir the pot up, but not to create the stirring of the pot, but because as the prophets did, this is the only way to a greater peace. And we see that the end result follows from what they do. And this is who God wants us to be. And surely if Jesus wants this for us, this is what we can be. If we are people of prayer, who remember Jesus' word, who remember that God is quintessentially a God of peace, and that we have been called to bring as much heaven down to earth as possible, so that we will wage peace on behalf of and in the power of the God of peace. Happy, says Jesus, are the peacemakers. For they will look like God. They shall be called the children of God. Let us pray. Holy God, this is who we want to be. Without your help, we cannot find this happiness that you call us to. But help us to be passionate in prayer that this is who we would be for Christ's sake, who has brought us peace with you. Amen.